From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of LPL Market Signals. Jeff Bookbinder here. Pleased to be joined by Quincy Crosby. Quincy, we've got a lot to talk about based on the developments in Russia over the weekend. Uh, how are you today? Fine, thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Jeff. Appreciate it. Sure thing. Uh, I'm showing off a little bit of a different background today. I'm actually in the Boston office, the Boston LPL office, and this just we thought was a nice background uh, as opposed to that that curtain, uh, which I uh, usually use when I am not in the office. So um, changing it up for you, but it's it's still me. So here's our agenda for today. Um, thanks, everybody, for joining us. We're going to do a quick market recap like we always do, of course. Uh, then we're going to get into the global topics where Quincy's uh, insights are are really, really appreciated. Uh, Russia and more, we'll call it, but it's going to be a little bit about Europe uh, and a little bit about China. And then this young bull may be due for a breather is the topic of our weekly market commentary. So we'll show you the charts from that uh, publication, which is out and available on LPL.com as you are listening to this. And then lastly, preview of the week ahead, the economic calendar, which has the core PCE deflator, which is the Fed's preferred inflation measure, uh, an important one. So um, let's start with the uh, the market recap here, Quincy. Uh, the winning streaks for both the S&P and the NASDAQ came to an end. They were great winning streaks. Five weeks for the S&P, eight weeks for the NASDAQ. Uh, don't see those all that often. So certainly we've had a nice run here, but you see here the S&P 500 down about 1.4% last week uh, and the NASDAQ, uh, the same small caps actually were hurt a little bit more down uh, almost 3%. It was a global sell-off. So you see losses in Europe and most uh, and most Asian markets. I mean, really the, the focus I think last week, Quincy was was probably on the Fed uh, as much as anything, because we had, of course, the testimony from Powell uh, in front of Congress. So, you know, we're continuing to digest the, you know, the fact that we might get two more hikes from the uh, FOMC. Uh, what else do you think caused the market to pull back uh, last week? Was it, you know, worries about concentration that we've heard a lot about, narrow leadership? Was it something else? Well, I think, you know, once you have a market that moves into overbought territory. It doesn't take that much to, um, you know, to cause a bit of a, of a pullback profit taking. I think one of the main reasons was it wasn't just the Federal Reserve. It was a shower of global central bank rate, rate uh, hikes. It, it was amazing because, you know, a couple of weeks ago, it was just the Reserve Bank of Canada, not just, but the Reserve Bank of Canada, the Bank of Canada and the Reserve Bank of Australia. And then last week, it was uh, the Central Bank of Switzerland, the Norwegian Central Bank, the Bank of England. Uh, we had the European Central Bank. We even had the uh, Bank of Turkey, uh, Central Bank of Turkey. Uh, in addition to the Federal Reserve, it is, if, is, it is as if the global central banks are determined, determined to restore price stability. And it looks as if they're determined to do it, even if it means slowing the economy. Yeah, great point. Certainly markets may be translating the hawkish moves overseas into, you know, more action from the Fed. And maybe that's giving uh, people who had previously thought the Fed was just going to hike 
maybe one more time or not at all. Right. Uh, second thoughts. So yes, good good point there. Um, I mean, you know, because the economic data recently has not been all that concerning, right? right. I mean, in fact, yeah. the odds of a soft landing have probably increased in recent weeks based on the data. We had strong right. housing data last week, for example, mm -hmm. uh, and it looks like housing may even contribute to GDP in, in the second quarter. Uh, if you look at the, um, you know, the sector breakdowns, certainly, uh, you know, it wasn't a good week for tech, but it didn't get hit that hard. Tech down 2% for the week. Uh, you did see the defensive sectors hold up better. You know, in particular, uh, healthcare, which was actually the only sector in the green. Uh, I know within uh, healthcare, you know, the managed care group, which has really had a rough go of it lately, um, was was one of the winners. You also saw some strength in in some of the pharma names. So, you know, of course, we don't know if this is going to be the start of a trend toward the defensives. Uh, the charts don't look very good right now, certainly, but it was one week where. Uh, defenses were certainly uh, the, the the place to be. So um, moving on quickly to the bond market, you know, with stocks falling, you typically see bonds rise, especially when yields are up like they are now. So that's indeed what we saw a little bit of uh, of green in in fixed income or at least high quality fixed income. Okay. And then on the commodity side, you know, one of the reasons why you saw energy weakness last week certainly was you had crude oil down almost 4%. The energy index was down less than that because natural gas prices were up. But energy price weakness overall certainly weighed on um, on the energy sector. Uh, anything else to call out here, Quincy, before we keep moving? Nope. Let's keep moving. Keep, keep moving. Well, certainly moving. the commodity weakness can tie into your uh, China comments here in a bit. So let's get into the what we'll call three global hot topics. Uh, you you know you all know the one. The main hot topic is is the move over the weekend, the mutiny in Russia. So really looking forward to getting your thoughts on that, Quincy. Uh, but we also had a weak business sentiment report in Germany. The IFO index dropped right. a few points right. more than expected. And so that's maybe shining a light on Europe again as a potential source of global economic weakness. Mm -hmm. The LPL Research uh, Strategic and Tactical Asset Allocation Committee does like international right now, a little bit better uh, than the U.S., although we're neutral equities overall. So certainly uh, any weakness in Europe potentially would, would have our attention. And then lastly, um, China, you know, China, whenever you talk international, we want to talk China. So interested in your thoughts there, Quincy, is that that economy, uh, you know, just putting away the, the controversies that we all know about, right. China's economy just continues to perplex me, just you know, this this uh, reopening that everybody was so excited about really hasn't uh, materialized. So I want to get your your latest thoughts on what you've seen in, in China over the last uh, week or two. So uh, why don't we start with Russia? I guess, you know, my first take on this was that this increases the chances that we can get some sort of resolution, you know, an end to the fighting uh, in Ukraine over the next, I don't know, several months. But um you know, you might have a different take. Uh, what What do you think of the implications for, you know, first the war and, and secondly for the economy uh, from uh, this, I guess, short-lived mutiny over the weekend? Well, so far we haven't seen anything that, you know, the ramifications haven't moved over into the uh, projections for the global economy. Uh, you did see oil prices climb higher 
as a result, that was a knee-jerk reaction, but the oil prices have come down quite a bit. Um, The fact is, I mean, at least as far as the market is concerned, uh, we've moved on, right? We we have moved on. You know, I follow the Japanese yen. I follow uh, the dollar, gold. Uh, In essence, the market says, okay, now let's look ahead. Let's look at the things we we need to focus on. However, there are issues, uh, outstanding issues, because we want to know, the markets want to know, the markets are monitoring what's next. This was a very odd, quote unquote, end to the episode, very odd ending, uh, where he was uh, the head of the Wagner Group, was given the, okay, go to Belarus, nothing is going to happen. That's not the way uh, Putin runs. That's not the way he operates. And today uh, we had the head of the Wagner Group come out and say that, you know, this had nothing to do with Putin. This was not a coup. This wasn't towards the Kremlin. It was only towards the uh, defense ministry. You know, and, and, uh, and by the way, over a number of weeks, there have been issues with why are the Russian troops firing on us? Right. That was one. Second, what, where are our, where's the equipment that we need? Where's the, the, the food that we need? And so he tried to tie it to that, although it's really odd, you know, you you can't help it. Uh, But but nonetheless, the question is, what about Putin? And what is interesting here, Jeff, and, and, and what's being monitored is what is next with him? You know, he is in a bunker. Uh, What are the people closest to him telling him? And the question now is, how does he come out and reassert his authority? Because for all intents and purposes, the, the view is globally that his authority has been diminished. And given his, you know, his ego, given the way he sees the world, and given that he's essentially alone, only with those who tell, tell him what he wants to hear, he must come up with an, a, a, a move that asserts his dominance. And that's the question. And the question is, what could that be? And, and many of the choices are not exactly what, you know, what markets want to, um, want to focus on. So that, that's what we're waiting for. Uh, you know, whether or not internally they remove him, that, that is not in the cards at this point. But you know what we've forgotten about is all of the earlier reports that he's actually very sick physically uh, with cancer, and with Parkinson's. That could be used as a rationale for removing him. That had been mentioned many times, uh, months and months ago. So there are, again, there are more questions now than there are answers and that sometimes you just have to wait. But the concern is, and I just can't stress this enough, that if he feels compelled to underscore his dominance, you just don't know. It's like lighting a match. In fact, it is like how he went into Ukraine thinking it would be over in just a short period of time. It's been nowhere close to a short period of time. And yes, I've heard the talk, Quincy, about um, Putin's health. In fact, somebody even speculated that he he might be dead. Um, That would be quite a secret to keep from the world in the digital age, uh, but it's certainly possible. 
I mean, so we're failed to mention we're recording this on uh, Monday late afternoon, uh, June 26th, 2023. And this is a very fluid situation. And so we may we yep. may learn more very soon. But you're yep. you're right, 100 percent right that uh, you know, if somebody challenges Putin's power based on what we know of Putin, they they oh. don't just waltz into Belarus and and, and <laughs> hang out and all is forgotten. Uh, I, I have a hard time believing that just like you do. No, no. He 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 is known for going after his enemies anywhere in the world, including here in the United States of America. Absolutely. So Putin is weakened. The theory is that that brings this this conflict to a close sooner. Would you go so far as to say that, you know, maybe, you know, this thing's over in a few months? Uh, and if well, so, what's the path to this ending? Well, one thing that could could happen is that the that the Ukrainian forces take advantage of this vacuum right now and just move in. They were supposed to launch an offensive that they could take advantage of it right now. Uh, This is important, although there are also reports that the Wagner group is still in Ukraine. So, you know, again, more more uncertainty. But it is clear that. The troops, whether it is the mercenaries, which is the Wagner Group, which, by the way, just so folks know, has been active for years in the Middle East and in Africa. They are uh, a, an important uh, a military component for uh, military affairs in, in that part of the world. But um, the question really is, is the military in uh, this Russia so weakened by all of this and leading up to this, that this is a good chance again for Ukraine with has new weaponry that's that's come in to go out there and use it and use it forcefully. And what's next if they can come to the table and discuss a uh, you know a negotiation, a negotiated peace peace? Uh, what you have is then the rebuilding of Ukraine, and that's something that has been discussed already. Uh, all of the agencies worldwide, uh, either on a you know multilateral basis or the multilateral organizations, are drawing up what Ukraine needs to rebuild. That is going to cost billions and billions of dollars, and infrastructure spending is going to be extremely important. No doubt. Yeah, that's that's of course uh, a long term path, but uh... yeah. Sure, I, I'm sure uh, Ukraine is figuring out how to take advantage of this potential incremental weakness. And there were there was already a lot of talk about a weakened Russian military, about some uh, you know discourse uh, amongst the troops and all of that. So if if that's all right, and then you add this to it, then then yes, this this may um, this may get us to an end quicker. Uh, certainly, uh, we would all love to to get to that point. So thanks for uh, those thoughts, Quincy. Really interesting situation to follow. That you know, who knows what's going to happen over the next several days. Um, so let, let's turn to Europe. I mean, this this business sentiment index, the IFO um, index, did surprisingly drop a few points, uh, and that's causing speculation that maybe Germany, you know, the recession extends another quarter or two. What, what, what do you think? Um, what do you think happens to the European economy in, in the near term? Are they going to be mired in recession for 
the rest of the year or uh, could they could they snap out of this pretty quickly? Well, you know, they could snap out of it pretty quickly because we've seen how tied they are to the fortunes of China. Uh, the market was disappointed last Friday because there had been a, a state council meeting, which is their ca- Chinese cabinet, expecting more information about what they may do on the fiscal side to help the Chinese economy. Anything that helps the Chinese economy helps the trading relationship with uh, Europe and particularly Germany and France and Italy. So that could help them. And remember when we thought that the uh, Chinese would use more, not just monetary policy to help the economy, but would launch a fiscally charged underpinned uh, program to help the unemployment rate, help that, help the youth unemployment situation, plus have employment pick up across the country. We thought that that would then come and help commodity prices and also the industrial part of Germany and also the, the, the rest, of, uh, rest of Europe. That would help. So the market's still waiting for that. And there are those analysts who believe that the Chinese government is working on it. You know, we just got a, a report where consumer spending is down. Remember, consumer spending was up. Remember when we talked about it and how they were spending uh, on, on travel, on luxury goods. And we saw the um, French luxury goods uh, index move higher or the European luxury goods index move higher. But now we're hearing reports that folks are saving money. They're worried about the economy and they're, they're, they're just saving. They, 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 and also the unemployment rate does have them fearful that if things deteriorate more markedly, you know, they will, they will themselves be uh, laid off. So there's caution uh, in, in China right now. And again, they could turn it around. But remember one thing that the Chinese are doing now, there's a major audit going on because any infrastructure project includes the municipalities. But when the municipalities are mired in debt, it becomes difficult for them to uh, engage in a, in a major infrastructure project. So what the uh, government is doing is they want to get a full picture of the debt. And again, a major audit is going on. But, you know, the clock is ticking. And that is something that uh, is important for President Xi, who, by the way, is watching very closely what's going on in, in Russia. They do not look at this and think this is a positive move. Uh, but they don't, you know, they never want to have any demonstrations in uh, China. So they've got to move. And if there is a catalyst, it will be the unemployment rate about 20%. And a good portion of it is young people and new college graduates. So that's the thing. It's a waiting game. And more and more analysts are saying, wait a minute, this notion of 5% or around 5% is how the Chinese government uh, characterized it toward the end of the year is just uh, maybe even lower if they don't do something and do something quickly. So this is a big disappointment, by the way. And the other disappointment is the global slowdown. So their exports are down as, you know, the demand for, the, for their uh, manufactured goods is, is similarly down. So it's a double whammy for them. Sure. And the U.S. economy is shifting more towards services in a way yeah. goods. Uh, yeah. certainly not in China's sweet spot. So, yes. yeah, I mean, back to Europe, you, you know, Europe is really uh, driven in large part by their exports to 
China and to the U.S. And so if you have, you know, lackluster growth in those two places, it's really hard for uh, Europe to make much hay. Um, I think that's an important point. And then in China, I mean, really the goal is stay in power for Xi and, and the CCP, right? So if they can't keep their people employed uh, with with incomes, they, they have a problem. Uh, so, you know, you'll probably continue to see uh, stimulus there. Yeah. So thank yes. you for that, Quincy. Let's let's move on and um, and talk, bring it back to the U.S. and talk about uh, this bull market, how it may be due for a breather, not directly tied necessarily to what's going on uh, in international markets, uh, but certainly some of these international jitters are kind of not not helping this bull market continue to move move higher. Uh, so the weekly market commentary about this bull needing a break uh, available on LPL.com. Here's the first chart from that piece where we just talked about how we're overbought, right? And a simple way to look at overbought is the relative strength index. It's basically a you know, measure of, of frequency of gains in a, in a short period of time. And so when you get over that 70 level, that marks the... It marks the difference between a kind of a normal market and an overbought market. Uh, we start to get a little bit nervous about the short term. So here we got over 70. Now we're breaking back down below that 70 level. It tells you maybe that uh, a, a bit of a pullback is is here. Uh, and, and you can just look at the top panel, the chart of the S&P. It just looks like um, it's it's come a pretty long way in a, in a pretty short period of time. We're up about 21% off the October lows now. Uh, that 21% off the lows, which is the tally of the new bear, bull market coming off of the October bear market lows, uh, that actually is a pretty normal return for this stage. Uh, so this chart just compares the median bull market eight months in and the average bull market eight months in to the, the bull market we're in now. Uh, and you see here, um, you know, the median 25% the average 33% and then we're at 21. So we're kind of in that range, not spectacular, not mediocre, but kind of, you know, in the range. Um, you know, when you take out the spikes coming out of 09 and coming out of the 2020 lockdown period of the pandemic, you know, you, you get a much lower number, right? So that's, I think, why median is is a better representation of where we are. So, you know, this suggests there's more upside over the next four months as the, um, you know, the bull market completes its first year, assuming it lasts that long, and we think it will. Uh, so modest gains may be ahead, but frankly, not a whole lot in the near term. Uh, the last uh, chart that we have in the commentary shows you duration and performance of bull markets historically. And, uh, you know, this makes the point that if, if this really is a bull market, and by the way, there's more evidence than just 20% off the lows because we're seeing cyclical leadership, right? We're seeing some breadth, not great breadth, but but some breadth um, that suggests maybe, um, you know, this, this really is a bull market. It's not just, you know, up 20, down 20. So, um, but you look here, if, if this is a new bull market, and we, you know, technically it is, and if it, if it, um, unfolds like some of these other bull markets in history, you know, four or five years left. We'll see, obviously hard to predict. And then you're gonna have potentially, if you follow the pattern, you know, maybe high teens type of annualized returns. 
that would be normal. Now, because we had kind of a shallow bear, maybe you would expect more modest returns going forward from the next bull. But certainly, um, you know, it's not unrealistic to expect, let's call it mid-teens type gains. So even though we're a little bit conservative now, uh, with that neutral equities, uh, history tells you that you don't want to get too, too defensive here, uh, because uh, certainly a good chance that we see solid gains uh, over the next uh, several years. But then last point, then I'll hand it over to you, Quincy. The drawdowns during bull markets are pretty much as big as the drawdowns you get in any market. Right. In any given year, the average maximum drawdown, so the maximum intra-year loss, is about 14%. If you just isolate bull markets, the average maximum intra-year loss, uh, this is all based on the S&P 500, is about 13%. So even though we think this is a new bull, and we think it lasts a fair bit of time, that doesn't mean you're not going to have some volatility with it. Quincy, over to you. Well, you know, when we, we have secular bull markets, those are markets that are going and emerging as a bull because something major has changed. That, that's what a secular bull market is. Doesn't mean you don't have bear markets within a secular bull market. You certainly do. But the overall trend is a bull market. That was what was introduced in August of 1982 when Paul Volcker lowered rates uh, after creating two recessions to thwart inflation. That was a secular bull market, and it was one of the best bull markets we've ever had in this country. So with this it's market, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But what I, I'd like to see, and it would give me more, more confidence that this is indeed a proper bull market, a, 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 a strong one, is I want to see more participation in the S&P 500 of those names crossing their 200-day moving average. Uh, usually, uh, when something powerful hits, you will usually see close to 90% crossing their 200-day moving average. So when this began, uh, just what was it, a week, two weeks ago, uh, the number was about 66% crossing its 200-day moving average. Today, it's down to about 54%. You get There's more confirmation when you cross that level, that 200-day moving average. And I'll point something else out. For seasoned portfolio managers, that's what they pay very close attention to, to the 200-day moving average, to see that, that fervor that underpins that surge of, of interest in, in the market. So I'm, I'm waiting, I'm hoping that we will see it because it's important psychologically. Obviously the fear of missing out is important. The short covering also is important, but to become a true believer as opposed to just being, whoa, I better go in because if I don't, my, my numbers aren't gonna be good. Uh, you want to see that. And I'm hoping that that, that is in fact what we'll see. Uh, Powell is speaking this week. Chairman Powell, we're also getting the PCE, the Personal Consumptions Expenditures Price Index, the PCE, as you mentioned, their preferred measure. If that comes in cooler than expectations, and typically it runs cooler than the Consumer Price Index, the CPI, I think that perhaps we could have a strong rally uh, if, if that, in fact, is, is, is the, what the data release suggests on Friday morning. Yep, you're seeing that on the screen here. The PCE deflator is no doubt the highlight of the week for the yes. economic calendar. I mean, certainly, you know, consumer confidence and surveys of inflation 
are important. Uh, certainly jobless claims takes on greater importance when we're so laser focused on wages and the job market and how that translates over to what the Fed's going to do. Yeah, totally get that. But PCE is is no doubt the uh, the highlight of the week. And it seems like it's not a very high bar to clear, you know, flat month over month, right? 4.7%. Yeah. Year yeah. over year again. But, you know, we have kind of stubbornly sticky services inflation rents that take time to come down those sort of things so um we'll see but but yeah we 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 are poised for uh, a little bit of a, of a rally here we think if we get a better number than that and then the last point i'll say on this is you know the reason that we're in this mess uh that we're in right now with inflation largely pandemic it's the reason that we're having um let's call it elevated risk of recession right if Frankly, if, if inflation is no longer a problem in a year, let's say, that could really provide a lot of fuel for this bull market. Right? Oh. People might people might look yeah. at you know on the previous slide, fourteen percent annualized returns for typical bull market. People might look at that and say, "Wow, that's a lot to expect." But if inflation's under control and interest rates come down, um, and and it, earnings are no longer pressured by inflation and by this lackluster growth, which is largely because inflation's high, uh, we could really have a nice several-year run. So that's that's kind of on the other side of the of the canyon, so to speak. We're clearly not there yet. Uh, we we don't have the Fed out of the way, uh, but that could be the uh, you know the the real catalyst to to generate what what could be um, a really solid multi-year bull market. Absolutely, absolutely, and uh, you know the dollar would be attractive. Uh, not collapsing, but it would certainly be allowing financial conditions to ease a bit if uh, if the Fed is finished. Oh, 100%. I mean, in fact, we're already seeing signs of that uh, happening today. So, um, you know, hopefully the banking stress that we saw uh, a few months right. ago is, is behind yeah. us and any yeah. tremors are, um, you know, let's call them small ripples that don't mm -hmm. influence the financial system as a whole. Uh, that's our view, you know, high level house view that um, we're not gonna see any major disruptions from other bank stress, but it's certainly too early to, to declare that uh, that episode uh, over. So things could look a lot better than than they do now uh, in a year. I think that's, that's probably the key takeaway uh, from looking at the inflation situation and the Fed in the context of uh, the current bull market. So um, with that, we'll wrap. Thanks, Quincy, uh, as always, for, for joining Thank another you. episode of, of Market Signals. Thanks to all of our listeners uh, for joining as well. It was good to see some of you over at a, an event here in Boston for some of our advisors today. Everybody have a wonderful rest of the week, and uh, we'll see you next time. This material was provided by LPL Financial, is for general information only, and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally 
directly regarding the corresponding market index. All indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker-dealer, member FINRA and SIPC insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, please note LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker-dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency, not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposit or obligations, and may lose value.